Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Monday show here on the Everything is Black and White podcast. I'm Andrew Musgrove and joined as usual by our Newcastle United editor Aaron Stokes. The Premier League has kicked off and what a start for Newcastle United thumping Aston Villa 5-1 at St James's Park. A double from Alexander Izak, debut goals for Sandro Tonali and Harvey Barnes and another from Callum Wilson. Blue Unite Emery's men away. United were comfortable on the ball, slick with their passing, quick with their pressing, clinical in front of goal. It really was a top-class display. We're going to look back on all the key points, plus revisit Newcastle's interest in Chiantini and Marco Cucurella. I'm going to sing a love song about Joe Linton, and Aaron is going to talk up Alexander Isaac. Not that the Swede needs it. Aaron, apart from the football, you had a good weekend? Yeah, cracking. I mean, it was made even better by the football. I mean, it was just great to be back at St James's Park, wasn't it? Missed it, really missed it. Didn't realise how much uh, I had. And then... I mean, who saw that coming? Everybody went into it. You know, it's going to be a tight game. Two teams on the up. Absolutely class from there. Yeah. Newcastle. World's point. I know it's only one game. We don't want to get over excited, but it was a fantastic performance from Newcastle. And we had the e-ticket system uh, underway at St James Park on Saturday. It seemed to, to go well. But obviously they've improved the signal around the ground. But I'm cursing it. I'm cursing it because I got a picture at kickoff on Saturday my little girl dressed in an Aston Villa baby bib. I can't, I can't tell you the fury that ran through my veins. Hang on, you're gonna have to elaborate. That that can't have been your doing or Lil's oh, doing. Of course, it wasn't my doing. But anyone that listened to uh, the match preview in the week, I explained to John Gibson that my father-in-law is an Aston Villa fan, oh. and he bought some Aston Villa bibs. And I tell you what, right? I left the house. I thought I don't need to say it. I don't need to say it to my wife. Do not allow our baby to have those Aston Villa bibs put on when I'm not here I thought I don't need to say it and then I got the the, the message through I got the photo through and I thought I really wish the you signal you from the game take it off. off yeah I missed I missed I missed the opening off <laughs> I really wish that they hadn't improved the signal and you can get reception now but as raging as I was I'm putting down the awful decision of my father-in-law as the motivation for Eddie Howe and his squad to thump Villa yeah I mean yeah look it didn't seem, didn't look like it was going to be possible for Newcastle United to kick on from last season, and they've literally just picked up where they left off. They don't look like they've even had a break over the summer. I know we'll we'll speak more about it later, but how fit do they look? I mean, they're going 75, 80 minutes into a game, and they're looking so fresh. Um, yeah, a real, real good marker for the start of the season. Yeah. Before we get into analysing a bit of the game, should we whisper it or shall we? 
sing it. Shall we shout from the rooftop? I mean, you've got it in big capital letters on your on your notes. I think we should whisper it. I think I'm always the one to try and keep my feet on the ground on this podcast. I think we need to whisper it. But say we are we are top of the league. Say we are top of the league. Let's get excited. <laughs> About, I mean, you know, my United will probably win six or seven uh, tonight against Wolves. But yeah, enough of that for now. Let, let, let's start with something serious. Let's start about Sandro Tonali. His debut's goal, it wasn't too shabby. Now, I did ask our listeners for some words to describe Tonali's debut performance. We had immense, we had fantastico, sumptuous and cosmic. Cosmic, I Cosmic. Like that That's good. Out of this world, eh? It was, wasn't it? But it, was. it, 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 it just seems everyone is falling in love with Tenali. The other one I had actually was surprising. Yeah. And initially I was like, hmm. But it was surprising because I didn't have him starting. Did you? Well, this is, this is the first point that I knew I was going to make on this podcast today. This is why Eddie Howes paid the big bucks because I did not see one person saying in the week, Sandro Tenali's going to start. Everyone was going, oh, well, you know, Longstaff's probably suiting this team a bit more. People were obviously calling for Anderson to start. Eddie Howe, by his own admission, was saying that Tonali probably wasn't you know, ready. We all saw what he was like in America. He was maybe a bit off the pace. So it was surprising in a sense because nobody actually thought that he was going to pull that performance out the bag this early. And it was fantastic. I mean, you know, we, it, what was really uh, good about it was that he just looked at home. Yeah. Like we were all worried about how well he would settle in. But 66 touches, 48 out of 54 passes complete, which was 89%, and a goal on his debut. And he could have had a second as well. Yeah, yeah. I think I think for me, in terms of debuts, you know, could he have really had a better one? I think from minute one, he was just absolutely spot on. Brilliant to get that goal so early. Perfect late run at the box, as you say. Could have had a second um, moments later. But if you look at each of the goals after that, he plays a part in pretty much all of them. He plays a really good part in that uh, Isaac goal, playing the ball um, in the box. He plays, you know, sort of the pre-assist for Barnes's, uh, sorry, for Callum Wilson's in the second half. Everywhere on the pitch, you know, absolutely selfless work on and off the ball. <sighs> We've got to keep our feet on the ground. You're only have to, been, yeah. It's only been one game. I know they're top of the league. I know they've looked like they've signed the best midfielder in the world. But as I've just said, as as statements going as an early marker if that's what he's like after a couple of Eddie Howe training sessions and a couple of pre-season games what's he going to be like in a year or two Tim says he absolutely bossed it uh, what I loved about it as well about his performance well not so much his performance just something a little bit quirky he had his shirt tucked in for the entirety of the game I was just you know what it is I was just about to say that I was going to say that was probably <laughs> my favourite part of his performance proper old school midfielder isn't it when he took your shirt and he looks slightly better than though than Lee Catamore yeah, yeah do you know what I mean don't think that was who he was trying to you know emulate <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you can just tell that you, I, I just said to the guy sitting next to you on set I said you can just tell in school he was top of the class, but he was also there a good 45 minutes before class kicked off with yeah. an apple on the desk for the teacher, just yeah. like a proper goody two-shoes. <laughs> but he just looked, I don't know, he just oh, he just looked like a, like a pain. Yeah, he, he didn't. Everybody, everybody always said, you know, he got so many early comparisons with Andrea Perlo when he was in Italy, purely because they both have the same style of hair. And, you know, that was quickly dismissed and people said he doesn't play like Perlo. But actually, I think he does. I think he's got that arrogance of Perlo. Perlo used to strut around that pitch knowing he was the best. And there was times on Saturday where Tonali just sprayed a ball out to the left for Barnes to chase effortlessly. And you just think, you know, he looks like he's been playing in this league 
for years. He looks yeah. like he owns it already. That's, I think, for me, my favourite part about his game. And of course, he's only seen one real competitive game. But it is his passing, the way he just sprays the ball about. The short pass as well, he's very quick. Like He's thinking quicker than most people on the pitch. And it's going to take something for the Newcastle players to keep up with him, I think. Uh, and it's just going to be scary as well when he gets up to proper speed with yeah. the Premier League. Because if that's what he's performing like in his opening game, what's he going to be like in a few weeks' time when, he, when he's when he got more minutes under his belt? Yeah, absolutely. And, and as, as, we, as we said earlier in the show, you look back to those America games. I mean, that Aston Villa game in pre-season, he was all at sea. Aston Villa's midfield were running through him. You know, he was probably at fault for the first goal early on for Wendia. So, I mean, when I saw him starting on the on the, on Saturday, I was surprised. You know, I, I thought he'd be eased in like Bruno was last year, like Botman was to a degree last year. Um, so, yeah, I think surprising is one of those words which used. I don't think anybody expected that so early. Les says it just shows how much effort Tenali and the squad have put in performance like that aren't by accident. That alludes to the point about the fitness, which we'll get on to. Is Tenali, and again, which we don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, <laughs> and we, we all love Bruno, we will get on to Bruno later on the show, is he, though, the best player in that squad? Because I look at him, and the way he plays, maybe Isaac aside, I just think if, if you were drawing levels, you might have a top tier, potentially, of just those two in it. Look, I... It's too early, isn't it? I know, I know we, I know we love to put sort of labels on like that, but I think it's too early. But I think everybody, I, yes, we're saying it's surprising that he's put that type of performance in so early. But actually, no one should really be surprised having watched him in Italy. No one should be surprised having watched him in, you know, the Euros final, the Champions League semi final, and whatnot. He's been there, and done it in Italy. Um, he was signed. You know, he isn't the record fee, but he's very close to it to be one of the best players in the squad. Eddie Howe, very, very uh, telling in his post-match press conference when we asked him about Tenali and he said, you know, I fell in love watching him in Italy, which is, you know, quite a you know, strong thing. Eddie Howe saw him play in Serie A and thought, oh, Dan Ashworth, right, we need to go and get him. He's definitely been brought in to be one of those. Look, I don't know, you know, is he better than Bruno? We could debate that till the cows come home. I'm sure the people in the comments will do that. But he's certainly going to be up there if he can, you know, sort of carry on this early, early trajectory. Graham says Tenali is pure class and absolute maestro. I mean, the finish was absolutely superb. A lovely ball in, Botman knocking it down. It's Tenali flinging himself in kind of a half bicycle kick, but it's just a really good goal. And he could have had a second as well. Some really quick, slick movement down the left. And if it wasn't for Martinez with a brilliant save, it would have been two goals for him on on his debut. But I think. What a lot of people wondered about Tenali was, does he have that ability to add goals to his game? We know he's good with passing. We know he can get his foot into the opposition. But there was a question mark from some about the goals. But it's the perfect way to, to silence any doubters, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know you know he's, he did score a couple from set pieces last year. Not too many from open play. And if they were, they were, you know, long range efforts. I, I haven't, seen, you know, I've watched plenty of compilations about him since we signed him, and there isn't too many goals where he scores in the six yard box like he did on Saturday. But I think what we saw Saturday, and like we say, it's early days, we're keeping my feet on the floor just to, you know, don't have a go at us in the comments for, you know, drifting off. Right, uh, Stuart's already in there. He says, yeah, we need to see how he develops. He's had one good game and now he's the best player in the squad. Consistency will... I agree. I, I, I apologise, Stuart. But I think just off that one performance alone, and it is just one performance, it goes to show why all those early, early claims about him coming in to play the sixth role were quite wide of the mark. I don't want him sitting back in the six. I want him everywhere like he was the other day in that proper eight role all over the pitch like he was um, 
And I think, as I said, it goes to show that he probably won't just be that player to sit in behind and sit in front of the defence. Let's say Tonali and Bruno isn't a contest, it's a partnership made well in said. heaven. It's interesting that you mentioned the way they set up across the three because it all three of them, Joe Linton, Bruno and Tonali, were up and down the pitch. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously you're saying two eight and a six, but it, it, it didn't seem that rigid to me. I'm going to speak about Joe Linton later in the show because I thought he was absolutely superb again. But it's going to be interesting going forward to see how it works because, like I said, I don't think they've been told, you sit there, you sit there. Everyone kind of just works for each other. So if Bruno goes forward, one of them will stop, step mm-hmm. in, and, and vice versa. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think I agree with you. I think it looked very fluid on Saturday. I think there was even points when you know Newcastle were taking set pieces where actually Anthony Gordon was the man to drop out and sort of cover. You know, there was a moment where Villa sprung a very early counter attack and Gordon was the you know the man to chase him back. So you know they're interchanging, and I think you know it's something that we haven't actually really touched on so far on the show. The options that they've got now in that midfield. I mean, you know, as I said, people. I, I personally thought Longstaff would start if he was fit enough. Anderson, very, very unfortunate to miss out. People obviously were clamouring for Tonali. Willock's got to come back. You know, Anderson can play, as we said. Gordon can drop in there. They've got real options now in the middle. And and as you say, it's not just it's not just players that can you know play attacking midfield. They're also doing the hard work, you know, in behind as well. Yeah, Anthony Q says I think Tonali will be one of those players that brings everyone up enough. So when I said is he the yeah. best player in the squad, that's kind of what I meant because just watching them through pre-season and watching him on Saturday and yes it was one game he just looks like a different class yeah. again yes okay we've got to see how he develops but I don't think you'll look like that the way he did by accident I think I think there's enough there to suggest that he'll maintain the levels that we saw against Villa but I, I, I could be I could be wrong yeah um, I, what, yeah I could be wrong no no uh, no <laughs> I, I, I agree with you I think, I think just, just performance aside and we all know how well he played I think we will probably start to see him go into this new leadership group that they formed. I think you know yeah. he's he's only twenty three, but the way he commands that midfield, the way he gets in opponents' faces, the way he sort of deals with the referee, I think he's you know going to become one of those leaders on the pitch, like sort of Joe Linton has in the last couple of in the last couple of seasons. Perfect segue, and let's talk about Joe Linton because I felt he went under the radar actually <coughs> against. Uh, against Villa. I said a few weeks ago that I thought he was very nearly the the complete midfielder. If he could add goals to his game, he's going to be in the kind of top four or five in, in, in the Premier League. And we're talking about Casido, 115 million. How much is Joe Linton worth? I mean, Chelsea have just blown the market apart now. If that's what they're paying for, as you say, Saicedo and Enzo Fernandez, you know, how much should Newcastle United be charging when Bruno is attracting offers, Joe Linton is attracting offers, Isaac down the line? You know, Not that Newcastle United are a selling club, by the way. Yeah, They're course. all going to stay on Tyneside. But yes, he went under the radar. He was absolutely everywhere on, on Saturday. And obviously, everyone's talking about how good Tonali was and, and, and quite rightly because he was absolutely excellent. But again, I just think it allowed Joe Linton to just get on with it. He was good going forward. He was going go, going back and stopping the play, disrupting the play. There was one moment, I can't remember who it was against, but uh, he, was, he tracked down the poor guy. And it, I, I honestly think the Villa... Uh, player thought his his world was coming to an end. You just had Joe Linton like running towards him, like a like a like a, a man possessed. You know the top performance from Joe Linton, and it's it, I don't want to say it too often because we, we we have said a lot on this podcast, but it's amazing to think of how far he's come. Mm-hmm. You know we're talking about options in midfield. 
ahead of ahead of that Aston Villa game, and we weren't saying, well, many weren't saying Joe Linton misses out. No, I didn't see. Do you know what I mean? And it's, it's it's amazing. And then what he's done on Saturday by proving a point. This is why I deserve to be in this side. Absolutely brilliant. Well, you know, it's funny because I remember, remember when we used to do the podcast in that other room on there when I first started in this job and we started the Monday show. And I remember saying to you, you know, can Joe Linton keep it up? Is, is he going to be a flash in the pan in the midfield? Are we going to be, you know, talking about him dropping out the team? And that was probably 12 months ago to the day. And, you know, clearly he's been listening because he's he's proved all that he can stay there. And he is now. I mean, is he, the, is he one of the first names on the team sheet? He can't be far I off. I think he is. He can't be far off, can he? And if these teams like Chelsea, and obviously they're going to go and sign Casado, but Liverpool, they're looking for a holding midfielder. And I know Joe Linton strictly doesn't play as a holding midfielder. If you were going to title him up like that, but he's got all the attributes of that and then someone who can run forward. You know, he'd be perfect for these big, big teams. But the point being as well, Newcastle are a big, big team. He's going nowhere and they have got... And I guess the point is that when you're spending £150 million on someone like Casado, mm-hmm. it shows you really just how fortunate Newcastle were to have a player like Joe Linton in their squad. Okay, Eddie Howe has had to work some magic on him and it's been <laughs> some turnaround. But he's arguably saved them £100 million, really. Yeah, completely. And I think, you know, Dan Ashworth always talks about this and, and the inflated fees. And, you know, I think there's a reason why we haven't seen Newcastle go out and buy 190 £80 million players. And you actually look at the top 10 players that have cost the most in Premier League history and actually a lot of them are duds. You know, probably Jack Grealish aside, and I mean, even that's early days for him. Newcastle don't want to be that club where they're spending 100 million on a player. They want to be signing players that are 30, 40 million. Bruno Gomez is the perfect example. 40 million pounds he came in for. And you know that when you, you know, if you sell him further down the line, you're going to recoup three times that. And that's been their, that's been their mantra and they've stuck to it. And so far, I mean, I don't know how well it's far into the new era and they still haven't really got anything wrong in the transfer market, but they haven't. You know, they're, they're doing really smart business. And and Tenali has, you know, proven the, the latest one of that. Yeah, and there was a lot of talk in the build to the game about Newcastle's transfer business. And Jamie Carragher had his two pence worth about the signings that Newcastle have made and do they excite fans or the Champions League uh, signings. I mean, Sandra Tonali is just absolutely deflated that point from Jimmy Carragher. And it, it, I like Jim Carragher. He's a very good punter. He's one of the best out there. But it, it just struck me as a very strange comment because, again, you're not really understanding what Newcastle are trying to achieve yet. They're not going after the headline signings. They're not going, as you pointed out there, and spending hundreds of millions of pounds on, on players. What they're doing is they're targeting the right player mm-hmm. rather than the one who thinks they're going to sell a shirt and they're not getting brought into the, to bidding wars. I mean, and you look at the business they've done. I mean, Dan Byrne yeah, on Saturday. We're, we're going to get on to the fact that they're reportedly after, two, uh, after a left back on loan. But it's going to have to be some sign to get him out of the side. He was absolutely superb on Saturday. And then what did he cost? 8.5 million, 12 million, something like that. It's not about the price tag. And Dan Ashworth, Steve Nixon, anyhow... They have to be given more credit for doing the hard work and spending sensibly. And I, 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 yeah, I mean the comments on Carragher just rattled me. Yeah, Carragher's <laughs> Carragher's comments on I think I think his his point, you know, his broader point was that they aren't flashy signings for you know the so-called richest club in the world. You know, bringing in Harvey Barnes from a relegated team, bringing in Tino Livermento from a relegated team. But actually, when you look at those deals, you know, I mean Tino Livermento. All being well, injuries aside, could be, you know, the long-term air to Kieran Trippier for the next decade. Harvey Barnes, by the way, 
is just a proven goal scorer. There's no denying that at top level of football. So they might not look flashy. I mean, Tonali obviously does. He's a you know big name. It was a big coup to get him in. But even then, you look at the fee, fifty-five million pound in today's market. That's what Southampton want for Lavia, who's nineteen. He's only really played top flight football for two years. You've got Tonali for the same price, who's played in Euros finals, Champions League semi-finals. He's won Serie A as a you know a linchpin in that team. They're just doing they're doing ridiculous business. Carragher said, "I don't think the type of signings that will make the rest of the Premier League go well." Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. but again, but that's the way we that's what we like under the but radar. That's not the point, yeah. you know what I mean? But it uh, it does get to a stage where you say, just before you make these sort of comments, right? Actually, look at what's happening here, because you go to Eddie Howe and you say, "Right, are you trying to build a side that excites the rest of the Premier League?" And he'd go, "No." I'm trying to build a side that will do well in the Premier League, that will please the supporters here, but ultimately will work hard and be successful. And, it, you know, excuse my French, he doesn't give a toss about the rest of the Premier League. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's, and it's comments like that which I just think, just look a little bit deeper and then you'll be able to give a more informed opinion. And I think, actually, if you look closer at home, which, you know, Carragher, as you say, he's a very good pundit. He usually does. He gets Newcastle fans. He speaks a lot about them. You look at the signings that Newcastle have made, I mean, you know, there was a lot of excitement around Bruno. Tonali was very, very exciting for the fans. Not many people barked at the Harvey Barnes move. Livermento, yes, there's a few risks, but he's a very exciting deal. Newcastle fans have actually stood up and taken notice. Who gives, you know, who cares that the rest of the league haven't? It, it doesn't really matter. I'd rather be doing what Newcastle are doing than rather what Chelsea are doing. I had it written down to go uh, on about it later in the show and I just had Chelsea stop buying players. Like, what are you doing? Like, not because I want the, the players they're buying, just simply because it, it's just stupid now. It just feels like every day you wake up and they're, they're close to signing a brand new player. I mean, it's ridiculous. We joked last week about having to extend the extension on the extension of the dressing room. They're going to have to extend that extension on that. It's, it's ludicrous. Yeah. I, I also, I mean, we haven't touched on that. I think the comments came after this last week, but sort of a little bit pleased to see Liverpool miss out on Saicedo. Jurgen Klopp pleading poverty, going to Southampton, trying to get a very cheap deal done for Lavia. Then so suddenly finding £100 million back down the back of the sofa to try and sign Saicedo. And then, and then yeah, he goes to Chelsea. We'll go on to Klopp yeah. later in the show because I shouldn't let him get the whiz, but he's got under my skin. But equally, I think it's because Newcastle have got under his skin. But, yeah, we'll get on to Klopp later in the show. But yeah, Joe Linton, is he in the top five midfielders in the Premier League? Is that am I am I just am I just on a wave of optimism today? Oh, you've put me on the spot here because I'm trying to think of a midfielder. Look, I, I don't know. He's certainly up there. I think I've seen a lot of debates, and it's a, it's a very frivolous debate on Twitter because it's all subjective. But when you look at midfield threes and where they rank. Bruno, Joel, and Tonali must be close to being you know, the best you're going to get. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, for most people watching, you'll then go, Andrew, well, that means there's only two other midfielders that can get in that top five because we've got Bruno and exactly. Joel, Tonali. Exactly. So, Tonali, see, I'm doing it myself. <laughs> what a morning I'm having. Um, Sean says, we're not here to be liked, we're here to be competing. I think that sums up the response to Mr. Carragher's uh, quote. Gordon versus Barnes. Now, this was the other big debate. Who would start on the left? I said it would be Gordon. I did say it would be Gordon. Did you? I did. I said, if you had a storm of a week in training, which clearly he, he had. Did, yeah, I, I thought it was going to be Gordon. It would be Gordon. And it's really funny because last week we said, Saturday, Gordon performs really well. Bonds on the Sunday grabs two goals and it's like, wow, you've made Eddie Howe's decision even harder. Mm-hmm. Sun- uh, Saturday gone, 
Anthony Gordon, you ask anyone up to the time Barnes came off the bench, Gordon was one of the best players on the pitch. Barnes comes <laughs> comes off, hmm. grabs a goal. It, like It's unbelievable to see these two players competing for that spot and both of them can have a case to start, both of them can feel aggrieved not to, but then both are taking the opportunity, whether it's 20 minutes, 10 minutes, to actually say, just to remind the manager where they are also very, very capable of starting in this eleven. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you had Tonali, who obviously had a fantastic debut. Isaac, who scored, who scored twice. Um, you know, Barnes, as you say, came off the bench, did very well. All these players performed really well. And actually, probably the player that I've seen get the most praise apart from Tonali is Anthony Gordon. And he only really got one assist. Tireless running, both forward and back. I mean, he made Matty Cash, who by all means is a very good fullback, he made him look League One or League Two standard. He had him on toast. And I mean, I wrote about this on, on Sunday morning after the game. Anthony Gordon has done so well. He had a fantastic start the season. He's carrying on this summer form. But actually, you know, it won't be enough because you've got a ready-made goal scorer here in Harvey Barnes who is going to fight you for that place. And look, Gordon did fantastically well. Really, really good performance. But he's got Barnes really breathing down his neck now. Yeah. And as people have said there, obviously Barnes also had an assist. What I loved about Gordon's cross um, was... Left foot. Yeah. And we haven't... On the, obviously, he's come in and let's say he's replaced Anson Maxman for, for, for argument's sake on that, mm-hmm. that last flank. That point, is St. Maxman putting that ball in the box? I'm not too sure he is. I think he tries to take an extra touch. He maybe tries to go back on the defender. Whereas Gordon, slick movement with Joe Linton, isn't it? Ball back, bang, straight to Isaac. Uh, perfect. Yeah. Uh, sorry, straight to Tenari. Absolutely perfect yeah, cross. I, I, think, I think it's something that goes under the radar a bit with Gordon's game. Just how two-footed he is. I think when you look at Miggy on the other flank and how one-footed he is, it really does sort of hammer home the fact that Gordon can use both. I think that's why, you know, big reason why Eddie Howe signed him. Um, interesting to see whether him and Barnes both keep battling it out for that spot on the left or whether he maybe moves one of them to the right. I mean, Nick Barnes maybe hasn't played there, but Gordon, we've seen, can play anywhere. Um, but yeah, I thought he was really good, really good. I'm, I'm glad because... He's had a really tough time. He's grafted over the summer and I think it was good to see so much praise put on him by fans after the game. I've just got double-footed and then dancing. Dancing? Dancing. Because I'm just so happy we've got a player who's got two feet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, come on, if you're getting paid 30, 40,000, 50, 60,000 pounds a week, you need to be using both feet. It really yeah. frustrates us. And to see him, you know, not even think about it, just put it in with his left foot, even though his he's right foot's his stronger foot. I was, it's the little things, but I was so happy. No, yeah, absolutely. And I, uh, as you said, I, you know, I don't want to go too hard on Miggy, but that's the one gripe that you have from yeah. him, isn't it? Like, the amount of times you just want him to use his right foot and get it out, but he doesn't. He takes an extra touch. And, yeah, very, very good from Gordon. And defensively, he was good as well. Won 11 out of 19 duels. You always worried about Dan Byrne being potentially exposed, especially against good players and Villa have good players in that uh, that midfield who could have maybe got it at the fullbacks but he did his job yeah he did absolutely and, and it's refreshing to see a player who by the way was signed as we all thought you know that just this attack minded player he plays as a 10 he plays as a left winger he's all about scoring goals but actually the work he's putting in off the ball is, is really really good he's tireless you can tell by the way that he hasn't had a break this summer in terms of how fit he is Um as I said, carrying on that form that he had in the under-21 Euros. Hopefully he can build on this. You know, I remember last... We've obviously got City this weekend. I remember last season he got hooked against City. He started at the Etihad, I think, in one of his first games. He didn't really have a very good time of it. Just hope he builds on this now and, and you know, 
rises to the challenge of Barnes sort of being I, in there. I think he will. For, yeah, I think he just will. for that point you've mentioned yeah. there, the fact he's got Barnes breathing down his neck and you can't say more than what Barnes did, a goal and assist. Although I do have to say he should have had two. I'd fine him for passing that ball. I'd <laughs> fine him. Gets into training today. I hope Eddie Howe said, right, uh, that you need to make a donation to the food bank. Why did he pass the ball? What for, is he doing? On, for Wilson's goal or for the one that Wilson missed? For the I one Wilson it. missed? Yeah. He's well, got to be firing that in the back of the net. Yeah. Was he thinking, well, it's worked once, it'll work again? I don't know. I'm glad, though, that when he took his goal... There was nothing else in his mind other than I'm putting this in the net. I think, I think that he, probably he got stung last yeah. time. He's not making the same mistake again. But I think, as you say, I think Gordon will rise to it. If Gordon, by the way, can start scoring goals, how on earth does Eddie House separate them? It's such it's baffling. That's well, interesting. It's it might go back to the point where you, you've got to say, Miggy, you've got to start hitting exactly, back to the net. Yeah. But it all comes down to competition and having yeah. players who are just very, very good and. Because I think what you used to have is you used to have players who could compete, but you always knew if someone came up against Alan St. Maximum, mm-hmm. it was always likely to be Alan St. Maximum who would get the nod because he was the better player. But here you have players across the field mm-hmm. who are all at a certain really high level. Like, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a toss-up in many positions. And it, do you know what? The, the team we saw against Villa, you wouldn't be surprised to see two or three changes yeah, uh, against City. Yeah, and what I found really interesting was last week in the build-up to the Villa game was how many different teams I saw from fans. And I mean, we did a piece on the Chronicle about you know who we thought would start. There was so many different opinions. Um, as we've touched on, there's that massive battle on the left. We've touched on the fact that they've now got six or seven options in the middle. If Fabian Cher hadn't been fit on Saturday, I think you would have had a couple of options as to what people want to do in defence. And that's before they actually go out and potentially sign one more defender. So, yeah, very, very positive. And how touching it actually after the game, he said, I need these dilemmas. We're going to have 50, 60 games this season. I need to have these these choices to make. Jolene says, Gordon did so well. You kick a ball and sprint into another position. It's like having two players. Yeah, he was very fast point, and he was yeah. just straight at the point. Really good to see some fantastic build-up uh, kind of work between him and Joe Linton and, and, and Tenali and Bruno Like. Everyone just seemed to be on the same wavelength. Yeah, absolutely. Gordon, especially. I think people people say it about Barnes, and you know he was the master of the one-two at Leicester, and it was always his go-to move. He cuts inside, he gives it, he goes. But actually, Gordon is really, really good at that. He looks inside, he tries to find someone, and then as Jolene says, there, he's away and in behind. It's really, really positive. And it is just one game. And just reminder: we're keeping our feet on the ground here. <laughs> we had a pound very time. We're going to say that. Um, it is just one game, but. Has the ghost of Anne St. Maximum been put to rest? Yeah, look, I think, you know, Alan who? I think, as I said, it, it was sad for sentimental reasons that he went, but Barnes is an upgrade. I mean, Harvey Barnes has played, what, 20 minutes of football for Newcastle United in the Premier League and he's matched Maxi's goal record in the Prem for last season. It says it all. There you go. Wilson versus Isaac. The other big, big debate... Said it would be Isaac. We both said it would be Isaac. Isaac, Isaac, I think it'll be Wilson on Saturday against City, actually. Really? I can't see that. Isaac just looks like a whole different level. I've said it's going to be Wilson, but I mean, Isaac, just unbelievable. Lovely finish um, for the first, but the second was just something else. And I I, I just watch him play, and he's just just an absolute delight. It's, it's, It's hard to sum up how good he is, and I think. 
finally other teams are starting to notice now and other fans are starting to notice. And yet they can't even stop them. Exactly. I think, I mean, I've got it written down here and it's it's a piece that I'm probably going to write. Is he now, now that Harry Kane's gone, the second best striker in the Premier League behind Harley? Let us know in the comments. Because I've I've written down some some alternatives here from other clubs and the, the, the four that I've got written down are Gabriel Jesus, I think I'd take you back over Jesus mm-hmm. and his dodgy knee. Alvarez at City. I think the jury's jury's still out on that one. I've put Rashford down, but is Rashford a striker or is he more of a winger? Well, he's, he's a midfielder on fancy uh, football. Well, well, then that, that oh. solves it. He's a midfielder. And obviously we haven't seen much of that uh, Holland who's going to play at Manchester United. I'm just looking around the other leagues. Chelsea don't seem to have a, a proper out-and-out striker. Now that Lukaku's going to go, I know that Jackson has been playing there. I think... I think Isaac behind Haaland is now the second best striker. Not a bad point. I mean, Callum Wilson's better than some of them that you've mentioned. Exactly. So, look, I just think we've just been taught. I've just been talking about it in the office with an Arsenal fan, and he, you know, made the point. And I'm, I'm sort of sick of saying it, but every week it becomes more and more true. He just looks like Thierry Henry. I mean, the way he strides with the ball, defenders can't get it off him. That dink over Martinez for a second. Just incredible. I do enjoy, though, you mentioning uh, Jesus's knee injury there. I always enjoy when you mention a good old knee injury. Why? I've, been, I've actually been told in recent weeks that I've been mentioning my knee injury too much, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop. Are you? I'm not, yeah, I'm so not going to mention after it. The, after, the, after, after this one, yeah. Sure. So don't bring it up, please. Come. But yeah, just Isaac, just world class, absolute world class. And again, he had his doubt, he had his critics. Can he score goals in the Premier League? He looks like he can score a boatload. And we, we said on the match preview, 20-plus goals this season. Everybody's already two two towards that. <laughs> what was good to see, and I'm going to be honest with you guys, actually. I, I made myself a little bet before we started that I wouldn't say a certain word. I would say it once in the episode, right? And it's going to become a segment. It's going to become like, the word is refreshing. And it's going to be, what, what did I think was refreshing this week? And it's going to be one item because I got told I was saying refreshing too much. So what was refreshing this weekend, the most refreshing thing, Isaac did not kick off when he got subbed off. Despite mm-hmm. having two goals to his name, he would have wanted the third. You saw Mo Salah throwing uh, his ties out the pram. Isaac did not kick off, and that is refreshing. Everyone is just pulling in the same direction. It's not about the individual. It's about the team. It's about Newcastle. The, the clue's in the name. It's about Newcastle United. That, for me, was the refreshing element the most refreshing thing of this whole entire weekend. And that's going to happen every week, ladies We need the refresher segment and we need the keeping the feet on the floor segment. I think that's what we need to, we need to start. Just on that, um, very as I, I completely agree, very, very good to see that he wasn't kicking off the first. Not that he, he, he ever would, I don't think. But it also shows the ruthlessness of Eddie Howe because he did that last season with Wilson. Wilson was on two goals at home in the Premier League and he took them off. And he's done the same with Isaac. These players will be chasing hat-tricks, but they know... They haven't got time to waste. Could have had a Harrig as well. Could have as well. Good save by Martinez straight after his his second goal. Look, I'd, I I feel like you know last season when we, we kept saying that we were just sick of talking about how good Bruno is. I think I like, I'm just gonna get to that stage with Isaac because I just love him so much. I'm just gonna get sick of saying how good he is, but he really is good. And we've spoke about you know Tonali and how it was a good deal even at 55 million. Isaac now is maybe starting to look like a bit of a bargain at sixty three million. Mm. If you were, and I'm not saying I'm going to, but if you were to sell him now, you'd get you'd get double that. I think. Stop talking about selling your castle. No, but players. I'm just making the point that they've bought really well, and that they've bought smart, and they've actually got bargains in, so that if 
I mean, other clubs are going to be stiffing. You know, Newcastle got some of the best players in the league. You talk about that. We were talking about Casado. I didn't write down how much I had Joe Linton for. You reckon? No. Don't, <laughs> don't just don't read that out. Um, yeah, Isaac, absolutely brilliant. And just a word, I mean, Martinez, he is an absolute wind-up merchant. Fantastic goalkeeper because that scoreline mm-hmm. could have been a heck of a lot worse if it wasn't for him. They could have scored eight or nine million on the day. They had so many chances. As you say, Tonali and Isaac both had really good chances straight after they scored. Um, very good save for that Wilson one, even though he should have absolutely buried it when Barnes squared it the second time. Um, we haven't spoken about the, the Miggy foul. It's coming. And you you text me on Saturday night when I saw it when I got home and I didn't reply because I thought we'll save it for the pod because I think we're going to disagree on this. I've had time to reflect. Okay, on. so okay, so tell first tell the viewers and the listeners what you initially texted me Saturday night about Martinez. How on earth is that not a red card? And have you changed your mind now? I have. Yeah, uh, that for me, I think the yellow is right. I think there was defenders covering. He wasn't last man. The rules are the rules, but it was. I mean, it was it was the most cynical foul you've ever. I've seen only just though because you only takes a, a quick little lob for him. Yeah. You want to put that in the back of the net. I mean, it was it was he, he intended to bring him down. I also feel like he could have been sent off at any point during the game because what we saw with the rule changes that the referees are meant to be giving out yellow cards and cautions when players are asking for their players to be booked or yeah. bit to say, yeah, I saw him at least ask twice for Newcastle players to be booked. Where was the second yellow for that? I mean, it doesn't yeah. matter now because Newcastle won, but yeah, yeah I think very, very, yeah, in the time you thought he was very fortunate, but yeah, looking back, there was probably a man covering, but skin of his teeth I think um, yeah it was it was borderline wasn't it but I think I think it was the right decision and I think Newcastle fans have sort of been split on it as well yeah. recently just, just on the whole I mean we'll talk later in the show about the, the whole um, technical area because we've got the clip from Klopp but on the whole yellow cards referees clamping down what did you make of it my first thought is as it always is with the referees is just consistency because I saw was it Botman got a booking when Martinez brought Miggy down? Yeah. Because he was like, well, he's got to be off. And then there was another instance, I think someone asked for a yellow card. And yeah. But there was instances where two or three Villa players were asking the same question of the referee and nothing happened. And I just think if referees, I'm all for referees clamping down on, on dissents and, and you don't want to see other players asking other players to be cautioned. But the consistency is what kills your belief in officials. It happens with the VAR. It happens on the pitch, happens down at Stockley Park. They need to be consistent. Otherwise, what what what's the point? I, if I'm completely honest, I didn't think Andy Madley had that good of a game on Saturday. He was it, awful. Didn't, it didn't matter, did it, because of the result and how clear cut it was in the end. But as you say, uh, Botman booked in the first half for complaining about the Martinez foul. Bruno watched Tonali get rugby tackled to the floor, asked for a card and got booked himself. Tonali actually got booked when he Tonali got booked when he got subbed. For, for taking too long to go off but it the goal had just been scored so both players were going back to the centre circle Tonali's slowly walking off and he gets a card it, it, there was just no consistency and by the way Matty Cash it took four really bad fouls on Anthony Gordon before he got a yellow he could have been booked once or twice in the first half I just I didn't think the ref had a good game at all you know he had an awful game we don't want to hit on referees because yeah. it's a difficult game but he lost control of that game very early on and not just from a Newcastle perspective both sides there were decisions going against both sides but I just thought I was sitting there just thinking what on earth is he doing and he lost control of it it was a, a rain and it, 
I'm to talk about ten performance from a referee. You know, I thought it was it was really really poor. Yeah, thankfully it didn't matter, and you know, thankfully it hasn't even really been a talking point. You know, I mean that I've hardly heard anybody talking about that Martinez decision because of how well yeah. Newcastle sort of saw out the game. It didn't matter, but I'm with you. I'm I'm happy for ramp refs to clamp down, but I think this asking for a yellow card thing is it, is a yellow card for that not too strong. Well, someone mentioned there the way the yellow cards are getting handed out. Graham says it's fair to say squad depth will be well, invaluable. It's, it's true, yeah, absolutely. I think if Bruno and Tonali and Botman have all picked up yellows in the first game for, you know, essentially not doing anything, it, it is, we're going to see a lot more suspensions. I think. Did you notice Kieran Shipper's reaction when Botman got booked? No, I he didn't. was absolutely fizzing at Botman. Was he? He was raging. I thought Trippier was going to get booked for knocking out his own centre back. He was like. <laughs> Pushing away and Botman came again. He was raging. And then at half time, he had to push him away again. They're gonna, they're gonna have to learn, though. Aren't they? Great I think leadership. That's probably what Trippier's saying. Yeah. That the players are gonna have to learn because the refs have made that decision now. But I even saw Eddie Howe asking the referee when Tonali got booked. The players are literally lining back up for kickoff. It's not as if Tonali's. Mm. Do what I mean? It, it, players are gonna have to get used to it, though. Just like Howe and, and Tindall are gonna have to get used to the, the touch play rule. Indeed, we do have to. Well, I've got. We don't talk about Bruno. I didn't. I did plan to sing in the introduction, but I think I've done enough singing for one yeah, episode. Maybe. But sadly, we're going to have to talk about Bruno. Okay. Because I thought it was one of his worst games in a black and white shirt. Really. He had one or two moments of great passing. There was, I think, one or two good runs forward. But as a whole, based on what we've come to expect from him, I thought it was a really poor performance. He was very slow when he was in possession. There was a few times he got caught in possession. He drew a foul, questionable fouls. I thought he was quite fortunate, actually. I he, I would have hooked him um, earlier, earlier uh, obviously with the booking, but I just thought his performance levels have dropped. And I don't think he's the same player we've come to expect because he set his standards so high. I do wonder, because he played through the injury, whether that's impacted him more than if he just not played through it and just said, I can't play, let me recover these three months and I'll be afresh in the summer, which of course would have affected Newcastle's chance of top four football. So, but I, I just want to see the, the old Bruno bounce back because he's a tremendous player. And we saw on Saturday the glimpses of, of how good he is, but I thought as a whole, he was he was the worst of that midfield three. And it wasn't a, it wasn't a good performance in my opinion. I'd be interested to know what the, what the viewers watching now live think about this because for me, I mean, look, I don't think he played bad. I, I think it's very, very hard, isn't it, when you someone like Bruno, who's used to being a star man, and then all of a sudden we've just spent 20 minutes talking about Tonali and how good he was, and we've just spent another 10 minutes talking about how good Joel Linton was. I think I agree he was the worst of the midfield three, but I think they set a very high bar. Look, it's we've just been talking about how we need to keep a feet on the ground. We need to remember it's also still technically pre-season. I mean, players aren't at their ultimate fitness. But on, but, but, but on that... Newcastle United look like they actually are. Yeah, it's I scary. Mean, yeah, it does. But I think I think another thing we talked about uh, watching Tonali in America. I think it was also obvious that Bruno maybe isn't fully up to speed yet. Yeah. Give him another couple of weeks. I mean, I know it's a tough ask City and Liverpool back to back, but nothing to worry about. I thought he did okay. Sean says he was fine. Thought playing him as a six was the best option. Graham says I think Bruno has been off the pace for a while, passing a bit off and missing, just hasn't got going. But he has high standards. Maybe showing us he's all human. And Graham says, high bar first game is all... Yeah, I mean, yeah, Graham, mighty win says he agrees with me. I've been worried about Bruno for a while. I think he'll get back to where 
he ha- he was last season. It's just noticeable because of how good he was. It's it's last season. it's it's going to be interesting as well because Bruno, ever since he joined, and I'm talking for the full eighty months, has been the main man, and he's had to come off that pitch on Saturday and go on social media and see all his old Newcastle fans suddenly, you know. I think he'll love that. I think he'll be he'll be he'll be all right with that. Uh, Christopher says I think Bruno played very well. Steven says Bruno did okay. I think the Tenali sign is taking a lot of the onus off everything, yeah. having to go through Bruno, which is what Newcastle United needed and what Newcastle United wanted. And I'm sure we will see the best of Bruno um, in the weeks to come. Just before we we crack on with some transfer news, our live event tickets are still available. August 30th, we've got a very special guest added to the bill, Sir John Hall, former Newcastle United owner, will be on the panel alongside BBC Newcastle's Matthew Raisbeck, Henry Winter of the Times and our Chronicle panel uh, made up of Aaron, Kieran Kelly and Lee Riles. Tickets are still available. £10 a ticket. I'll pop the link to where you can get them into the comments. Tyneside Irish Centre at 7.30. Hopefully you can come along. There's a big debate going on about Bruno. John says Bruno played well. It's getting ridiculous now. All my opinion, John. Uh, we've got Wayne saying, I agree. Bruno was very sloppy in control of the ball. Seemed to follow a very easy, expecting a foul. He lost possession lots of times. Derek says, don't think we need to worry about Bruno. I, I didn't even think we got out of first gear against Villa. Exciting to think how much better we will become. And that's the point I want to just talk about before we do get to transfers. The thing above all else that stood out for me on Saturday was just how fit they look. Just like it looks like they've never stopped. I joked a few months ago that I'd love to spend a morning in their kind of pre season training regime because I bet it's a lot of bleep tests up and down. You must have them doing laps of the town moor. Yeah, I think when they first came back to pre season and they got back to Benton for the first day, Eddie Howe did an interview and he said they've came back the fittest that I've seen them. Now, if that was after their holidays for an Eddie Howe pre season. It's no wonder they're playing, you know, so well late in the game. And I think Eddie Howe mentioned it after the second Seller Cup game. You know, the, when Harvey Barnes scored us two, they were very late on. They were killing teams off. And I think when you look at how long the games are going to go on this season with all the stoppage time, and I mean, it's 105 minutes played on Saturday with, with the 10 and the 5 added on. Um, Newcastle are really going to need to dig deep late on. And I think the fact that they're actually showing some of their best work late in the game is going to be a real, real asset for them this season. It's going to set them apart, I think. Yeah. Like, everyone was talking about how well Villa will do this season, how Villa will be the one to upset the established order. Based on that, they're streets uh, apart. But I think it does come down to the stamina yeah. that Newcastle United have got. And obviously the hard work, tactically, everyone just slots in where they need to do when the changes are made. But everyone, everyone just looks... So, so fit. Yeah, they do. And I think also one thing that we haven't actually touched on is the strength of that bench on Saturday. Yeah. Barnes, Wilson, 31 goals between them alone last season. Murphy, Anderson, Livermento, if you want to, you know, throw someone on at full back. That talent now coming off the bench with Willock to come back is going to set Newcastle apart. Everybody just talks about, oh, bloody hell, look at City's bench. It could win the league by itself. You look at Newcastle's bench now and actually when you've got players like Barnes and Wilson coming on, it gives them a huge advantage. I mean, to bring those two on at 3-1, it's, it's huge for how. Just keep your feet on the ground. Yeah, I'm not seeing Newcastle's bench come in the league yet. Sam says, Sam Mulner, friend of the podcast, special host at times, says, I'm midfield of Joe Linton, 
Tonali Bruno is one of the best in Europe. Bring on anyone in the Champions League at St James's Park. He's yeah. uh, he's he's on a very high. Uh, Chris says we made Villa look very average at times. The how effect is already on show with the new signs. Yet yeah, Newcastle just absolutely smashed Villa to pieces. Brilliant to see. If you're Elliot Anderson, what are you thinking? Um, I'm thinking you're 20 years old, your time will come, you'll get your chance this season. It's very disappointing because in some respects you feel like you couldn't have done anything else in pre-season to get a start. I mean, he was you know, inch perfect pretty much every time he played. But you know, we, we did sort of ask how about this, not about Anderson specifically, but we asked about the strength and depth. And I was response was they'll all get their chance. And I think that needs to be the message for, for Anderson and the others. And there was a really nice quote from Eddie Howe after the game when he was asked about making substitutions and he said my intention always when winning is not to sit back mm-hmm. I don't believe that is the right way to defend that is just music to the ears of Newcastle United fans isn't it absolutely I think you know as I've just touched on 3-1 up at home to Villa the game's all but dead and you know Eddie Howe goes for the jugular you know he's not content on just sitting back and resting on his laurels indeed and to do it to a style, as I said, that many people tipped for big things. And of course, it like we say, hey, I'm going to say again, it's only the first game. And I, I was listening to BC5 Live on, on yesterday, actually, and there was a few professionals. And it was actually the, the Aston Villa women's captain was a guest. Mm-hmm. Can't quite remember who the, uh, the other person on, on was. But, and um, Steve Crossman said, well, when you lose like that, 5-1, after being talked up the entirety of the summer, what are you thinking? And she said, sorry, I've, I can't remember her name. She said, well, you're not too worried. Outside, people are, oh, what a mess, what a chaos. But you're not too worried. And it's the same when you win as well. You know, you've got to just kind of keep everything low. You know, you, okay, you've won 5-1. Don't get ahead of yourself. You've lost 5-1. It's not a massive deal because you know what you've been working upon. And I suppose that's where he'll be looking at. He'll be over the moon having scored five goals. But, you know, he's got a big test on Saturday coming and you're only as good as your next win. I think, well, it was telling Emery came out after the presser and he sort of said that he didn't actually think Villa played too bad and I, I sort of agree with him. I think until that second Isaac goal went in, it was a very, very tight game. I think that third goal just killed it. Villa, obviously, I mean, it's early days. You can't be too much in the first game of the season. They lose Mings in the first half. Torres looks all at sea. Um, you know, as I said, then Isaac, you know, capitalises on a mistake at the back. On another day, that would have been a lot... Um, it would have been a tighter scoreline, wouldn't yeah. it? And then Eddie Howe, as you've just said, was very much, you know, he was even asked in the presser by one journalist, does it mean much being top of the league at the stage? And he said, you know, we've got City on Saturday. You know, the if any game is going to bring you back to down to earth, it's City at the Etihad. So we'll see where they are in a couple of weeks. We can know more. Villa, I'm sure, will come back. But it was a, it was a very, very good start for Newcastle. It was indeed. And yeah, I, I mean, your man, we said the RB yeah. and looked very good. What a nice little finish that was. Lovely finish. His movement in behind looks ridiculous. He was playing some lovely one twos. There's still a big, big part of me that would just love Newcastle to have signed him. And, and I thought he'd, he was probably the standout player in the first half of Villa. But look, Harvey Barnes can do just just whatever the RB does. So as can Miguel Almiron exactly. as well. Uh, new left back then. We mentioned this back in June. The interest in Mark Cucurella from Chelsea, and we've, we've, we've known about the long-term interest in Keenan Tini. We've also known, or I felt that the lower market would play a huge part to the end of the transfer window as Newcastle try and be really clever with the budgets. Now, to get either of these on loan is going to take something special, a lot of persuading the, 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 the clubs to, to let them go because it's going to a direct rival. 
my first question is because I think we asked, I asked you back in June and you picked Cucurella over Tini. My first question today is, Dan, I mean, Dan Byrne was superb. Do we need another left back? Because it's going to ha- it's going to take someone very special to unseat Dan Byrne. And if someone's coming in just to play back up to Dan Byrne, then it, does Matt Target not do that? Yeah, funnily enough, I, I actually wrote a piece on this for this morning. And it was it was more aimed at Fabian Share, but I was I was sat watching the game on Saturday and I actually thought it's no surprise that how once one more. You know, you look at that team, it's a very balanced, strong bench now. Y- you can't really argue that they probably do need one more in a defensive cover, but I, I would like it to be cover. You know, I would like it to be a young player who can learn from Cher, who can learn from Byrne. I think you look at that team, it's very, very settled. And, you know, I know I've, I've probably spent all summer saying they need to go out and get a left back, but I, I do agree. I think Byrne, you know, Maybe doesn't get the credit he deserves. He maybe goes under the radar a bit because he's not flashy and he sort of moved into that position. Um, you know, even though he's a centre back, I would like to see one more come in as cover. You know, as we said, there's two reports this morning that they're after Kukurea and Tierney, who would probably think fully fit and firing come in to start at eleven. Um, be interesting to see where, where they go with those two. Rico Henry. I'm, yeah, I keep mentioning him. Did you yeah. watch him against Spurs? Yeah, I saw the I saw the first brilliant. half of the game. He's very, very good. Absolutely brilliant. Because if you're going to go and sign a left back, why are you paying some? Because let's not be on the bush. Cucurella, Tini will be on a big, big wage. Yeah. Probably a big loan fee as well. Nothing to say there'd be a, a signing on fee, you know, for the sum of it goes well. If you want a new left back, go and go and buy someone. I know with budgets and whatever, but go and buy someone that can actually unseat Dan Byrne. And mm-hmm. I, I get what you're saying. I like to be back up, but I just think. If you, if, if, there's been enough debate and enough worry from people to suggest and you left back is, is is still a priority. Then go out and buy someone, buy someone who's young enough as well to to really lay down a marker and and just rival Dan Byrne for that position. Yeah, I mean just just on that, I think I think I think I did probably say to you earlier in the summer that it was Kukurea over Tierney for me. I think that still stands, but there's a big question mark over Kukurea because. You know, yes, let's write off what Chelsea did last season. They were an absolute mess. If you can get him anywhere, you know, near what he was like at Brighton, I think it's a no-brainer. But you know, there's no guarantee that they would do that. Cheney, you know, he went through last season without an injury. But I was looking at his record this morning. A lot of knee problems over the years, some ankle issues. You know, he missed. I think he's had you know nine or ten separate injuries in the last six or seven years. You know, came out of the Community Shield, was at fault for the goal, didn't do himself too much glory, was completely left out the squad on Saturday. There's risks attached to both of them. Um, and I think they'll probably split opinion among fans as well. Ethan says, wouldn't go near Cucurella. Gary says, been impressed with Rico Henry the last couple of seasons. And Graham says, left-back needed. Yes, Burn is good, done very little wrong, but we don't get much from left-back in delivering crosses in the same way we get from right-back. Someone sitting behind me at St James Park, she did say... We do need a left back who can whip the ball into the box. Given that we think they're going to aim for the low market in that area, where does that leave the rest of the budget to be spent? Is it a centre back? Is that where we still believe it's going to be? Um, look, I, from what Eddie House says, it's it's one more, and I think you know he talked last week about being creative. I think one more means one more, whether it's a loan or not. Obviously, we know this can change. We saw it last summer with with Callum Wilson getting injured and Isaac, you know, had to come in because they're short. 
touch wood. But if if Cher and Botman get an injury within the next couple of weeks, you can see them going out and saying, right, we've got to go out and splash the cash on, on a centre-back. There is money there to be spent. They just don't feel like they need to spend it at the moment on another you know, starting player. Um, but I think I think it's one more. Got enough for midfield, you would argue. Yeah, more than enough. I'd still like a third string. I don't think they'll get them. So yeah, you can young centre back. I mean, someone's asked in the comments there about Alex Murphy, but I think he'll probably go out on loan before the window closes up. It's going to be interesting. Um, yeah, I'm not. If, if, if but but funnily enough, and and I wouldn't say Tierney and Cucurella are really those players, even though they've both played centre back in their time. It's more so when there's three at the back and they're sort of playing out on the left. If you can find someone like Byrne and Murphy in the sense that they can play centre back and left back then I think that's the way to go between now and, and September. Versatility yeah. is key. Right, ladies and gents, shall we hear from Mr Jurgen Klopp? He had a little dig at Newcastle United with regards to the new rules to the technical area. This is what he had to say after the draw with Chelsea on Sunday. For the uh, official policing where one coach can go forward yeah. each time, do you understand that rule? Yeah, there's a Champions League like that anyway. I, I think it's only for one team a real problem. Newcastle. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, no, it was it, obviously the, the, we have first team coaches, we have assistants, and they are all lively and it's absolutely fine. And we get up, I, we have just to get used to it a bit around the set piece, Pete Carpets, so we got up and then. Um, the fourth bridge told me, yeah, he can't say, okay, what happens when I, if I sit down? Yeah, then he can't, yeah, good, then I sit down. It's absolutely fine. So we, we need to get used to it, but it's, um, it's fine. Thank you, everyone. Welcome. Thank you. See you. Bye. Man. Absolutely right. Do you know what? The, the sorry in that bit there. How arrogant of the man. How absolutely arrogant. I, I read those quotes last night on Twitter and I read them without seeing a clip and I thought, oh my God, he is so rattled. He hates Cassie United. But watching it this morning, can see that's very more tongue-in-cheek than I think it was. I don't know. Across. I think there's always an ulterior motive no, when it comes I think to Mr. Klopp. I think, look, I don't want to def- defend Klopp too much after his recent antics, but I think it's I think it's a bit tongue-in-cheek. But you know what it is? It's actually made me really excited to play them in a couple of weeks' time because I think it'll be it'll be fiery. Yeah, and I would yeah, love right. Jason Tindall to just stand just an inch outside the technical area for the full game it's just, to, just to rattle Klopp. It's an utterly ridiculous rule. But I, do you know what? I, Genuinely, I, I think there's more to it. Newcastle on our force a few years ago, you wouldn't even yeah. hear Klopp mention Newcastle because they were just a joke under the previous owner. But he knows, despite him raising his own ceiling by several floors, Newcastle are going to push his Liverpool side all the way mm-hmm. for Champions League football. So the, it's countless digs. Yeah. Well, is it a distraction tactic? Yeah. He is the master of it. Look, yeah, I, th- I think... There might not have been too much behind that dig yesterday, but I think there certainly has been over the last couple of months. I think not helped by the by the clash at Anfield last August when there was all that, you know, talk about time waste, and that was where it all really started for Newcastle United. He was the man that, you know, first planted the seed that Newcastle are this great time wasting team, which you know we know they aren't. Um, the ceiling comment obviously angered a lot of people, rightly so, given that Liverpool have just tried to break the Premier League transfer record and failed miserably. Um, like I say, I'm just I'm just looking forward to a spicy class in two weeks' time at, at St James's. It's certainly going to be interesting. End of the month, as I said, we I did have written down there. Chelsea stopped buying players because you just you like football manager, absolutely crazy. But I think it'll help Newcastle. The chaotic nature of the way that they're, they're, they're adding to the squad, 
I don't think that's going to help dampen the fires of last year when there was just a total disunity across the whole entire training ground. I mean, Elise is a very good player. Be a very good signing. Yeah. But, look, stop buying players, man. Stop it. Right. Trivia time. Definitely the jingle there, don't I? Are you ready for some trivia? I'm ready for some trivia. Are you ready for some trivia? So, Newcastle won on the opening day of the season and I've got some previous wins mm-hmm. that have marked the start of the Premier League campaign. I'll give you the game, the date and the result. Right. And I want you to name just one of the Newcastle United scorers. Brilliant. So, I'm going to take my pen off you, which you've chewed to the end of the earth and back. Fantastic. Um... Newcastle United 4, West Ham 0, 2002-2003 at St. James's Park. Just want one of the scores. Shearer. <laughs> Shearer. I mean, when it's that era, it's quite easy, isn't it? Well, I hope they're all this easy, Jesus. Luar Luar got two, and Norbert Salona got the other. Newcastle United 3-1 against Bolton at the Reebok 2007. Sam Aldice's first game in charge. Martins. Yeah. Got a double. Want to have a go at the, the, the other scorer? Um, no. Charles and Zogbia. West Ham away. They won 2 0. And it was the 2017 18 season. Um, I've not written the dates down for the last three, which is a fantastic way to do the trivia. But 2 0 away. Two, two scorers on their debut, funnily enough. For some reason, I feel like did they not win three 0 Was that not was that not the first game of the season? Um, I want to say Jocelyn. No, I'm thinking of a different game when they were beaten three 0 at home. Um, sorry, what was the season? I think it was two two thousand eighteen nineteen. Steve Bruce season, I think. Yeah, Steve Bruce first season. Um, eighteen nineteen. We'll go for. Where's my mind gone blank? Um, you want me to give you the names? No, I'm, I'm, for some reason my mind's just completely crap. Who on earth played up front when Steve Bruce was there? One still plays up front. Um, that is literally the easiest clue in the world. Yeah, Callum Wilson. So Callum Wilson and Jeff Hendrick uh, got the goals. Next, we have Coventry. Up at St James's Park, they were beaten 3-0 by Newcastle United in 90. 95. Um, so another debut goal for a certain somebody. Ferdinand? It was. Rob Lee and Peter Beasley with the other one. This is the Les Ferdinand goal, which I really, really enjoyed. I paced the keeper and put it away from a from a difficult, difficult angle. And number five, beat Spurs 2-1 at home, kicking off the 2012-2013 season. Can you name one of the scorers? Who was it? Sorry, Spurs. Spurs at home, 2012-2013 season. Um, Cissé. No. Perez? No. Shall I put you out of your misery? Yeah, go on. Hatton Ben Arthur and Denver Bar. There you go. That, yeah, I tell you what, that is not many open day wins, is it? In what twenty five? I, I think there was probably more. They were just oh, the five. I mean, because I didn't mention Fabian Cher scoring against course, Forest, yeah, so there was probably more. I just thought I'd pick the ones you had a, a slight chance of getting to. But seeing that, actually, 
that Coventry game was 1995. I think the 14th of August, 1995. So you would have been... Minus one. Minus one. Good hey. go on that. I got it right, yeah. You did, you did. This has been the Everything is Black and White podcast, the Monday show with me, Andrew Musgrove, and the cast and editor, Aaron Stokes. We do appreciate you guys joining us. If you're on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up and hit subscribe. If you're on a podcast channel, we appreciate you tuning in. As always, leave us a rating and review and share the pod amongst your Newcastle United supporting friends and family. Remember to get your tickets for our live event with Sir John Hall and our expert Newcastle United panel. Head over to chroniclelive.co.uk for all the latest Newcastle United news and for myself and Aaron. We'll see you guys very soon. Thanks for listening.